Are you ready? We're going to go deeper today. It's going to be great. We had an extra video in the first one, so I was waiting a little longer. I didn't mean to make such a dramatic entrance, but uh, so good to see you all today. And I love worshiping with my Destiny family. Hasn't it just been rich already this morning? It's been tremendous. God's so faithful. I just really want him to speak into our hearts and lives as we get into today, Jesus in Genesis. So take your notebooks and pass them down if you have not already. Take out your note cards. And, um, and let's just agree for some insight and understanding in what the Lord wants to do because it's really about what he desires to accomplish in us. Why don't you just put your hand on your heart. Father, we love you and we thank you that the only agenda that exists in this room is agenda to know the heart of God. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to help us all to grow and become more the people that you've called us to be, the family that you've called us to be. May your kingdom come and be established in the earth through our surrendered available lives as we're awakened to the truth of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, we have this incredible ability to access the mind of God as we access the Word of God. To memorize the Bible is to memorize the mind of God. To learn the Bible is to learn the mind of God. It's really a tremendous uh, thought when you evaluate it from that perspective. And what we want to do is just kind of walk through a journey. We're not on a, a series. We're in a season. And we're going to take a look at where Jesus is in every book of the Bible. So today we're going to talk about Jesus in Genesis. Guess what we're going to talk about next week? Jesus in Exodus. So uh, it's just going to be, the, the idea is not just to inspire and affirm, but the idea is to empower. And I believe that in your daily place of seeking God and knowing God and looking into the lens of Scripture, God's going to meet with you and meet with me in a very personal, intimate, and profound way. So let me just say, you're going to hear me say a lot, turn the page, turn the page. I want to ask you all, get an old-fashioned Bible and turn the page. Start journaling, dating at the top, and turn the page. Each day, write the date. If you, if you miss a day, don't sweat it, but keep on. Let's stay in the Word together as a family. So each week, we'll look at the context of the Bible, where the book is in reference to the context of overall Scripture, and then get into some unique insights of how Jesus is revealed in every book. There are 66 books of the Bible, 66. There are 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. There is a, a gap between the Old and New Testament of 300 years of silence where God did not speak. And it's a tremendous lesson to us to learn that Jesus came to break the silence. He's the word that came from heaven that we might begin to enter into a place of conversation with God. Now, this is interesting um, and, and it is important that we understand just a little bit of this, this idea. The apologetics embrace of Scripture. In other words, the reason we really believe the Bible is more than just a book. It's the divinely inspired word from God. There are a lot of those reasons, a lot of prophetic things we've talked about over the years, things that God spoke, and then hundreds of years later, exactly as is revealed in Scripture, it came to pass. But this is a unique uh, evaluation of, of the book of the Bible it was written over 1,500 years by more than 40 different authors on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe, in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Um, all these hundreds of controversial topics written in incredible continuity and unity with all those diverse backgrounds. I would say that if we got 40 different authors out of this room speaking the same language, growing up on the same continent, roughly the same generation, 
uh, and just give a few controversial topics and ideas, we would have all kinds of different perspectives shared. Would you agree? So it is a miracle in and of itself that we have such variety of background, and the Bible is, is unlike any other book in that it speaks of all those topics from all those backgrounds with this incredible unity. So here we go with the book of Genesis and why this is so important. Understand the context of Genesis. There are, in the first 11 chapters, there are four major events. First is creation. How many of you are glad we're here? High five somebody who's here. Just tell them, I'm glad you're here. Okay, we're here. God created us. Thank God he created us. Adam and Eve, they made a mistake. That's the fall of humanity. So we first have creation, then we have the fall of humanity. And the fall of humanity, Adam and Eve's sin, left humanity in serious trouble. And so out of that, then God begins to immediately start journeying to get us back reconciled to him. The, the third major event is the flood. And uh, you, as you're reading the book of Genesis, you'll see this progression of these major events. Obviously, the fourth major event is the Tower of Babel. So the first 11 chapters break down in those four major events. And then the following 40 chapters, we see four major figures in Scripture. And we're going to talk a little bit about those four major figures. That's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And those are four major uh, figures in Scripture in the book of Genesis. Now, you do understand the story of Joseph and how he was emerged in, in Egypt, right, to reign. And so that's why in the conclusion of Genesis, with great favor, Joseph reigned in a seat next only to Pharaoh. And so all of Israel winds up in Egypt, and that's where we're going to start next week, Jesus in Exodus, because after they lost favor with Pharaoh in Egypt, then they became enslaved there, and Exodus is getting them out. So that's, that's kind of the layout of what we're looking at. And this is why, you understand, Jesus trying, uh, God's trying to restore us to, to him through Jesus. That's why Jesus is so central in every single book. The Bible says, and I want to take you to the New Testament for a moment, John 5, 39. Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees. These are people who are very learned in Scripture. These are people who put boxes on their head to demonstrate publicly that the Bible is near their brain. And in the box, they'll put verses of Scripture. They put boxes on the insides of their arms to demonstrate publicly that the Bible is very near their heart. Uh, they were very public and showy. They would purpose to walk across the street at a specific time of day that was supposed to be their day to pray so that they could pause at that exact moment in time in the middle of the street so everyone would watch them pray. These are people that would tithe and understand tithe is a biblical concept of giving 10% of your income into the expansion of God's kingdom. These people didn't give 10%. They gave way more, and they made a public show of it. And so Jesus is addressing these people as he makes this statement in John chapter 5 verse 39 he says you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life but here's the key verse key expression that we want to understand these are the very scriptures that testify about me the verses in the Bible talk about Jesus and I'm going to take you to the very beginning verse I have learned with God the beginning speaks of the end uh, God always has the end in mind before he begins and the very first verse of Scripture in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, has a remarkable reference to Jesus that people just don't know uh, exists. I stumbled onto it just a few months ago, actually, and was thrilled to see. I started evaluating the verse for some reason in a, a lexicon. I'm no scholar, and I never want to give indication like I am. I, ne I never went to Bible college, okay? I don't really know how to preach. I'm just a Christian who loves the Word and loves Jesus, and I want everybody to love the Word and love Jesus. That's the bottom line. But I happen to be 
reading and, and looking online at these tools and resources, and it says, in the beginning, God, and then there's a little word. And a lexicon has every word translated to English above it. So these are Hebrew words. You might be married to a certain translation. Uh, break up with your translation if you are married to a translation. Okay, I really want to encourage you, break up with your translation. There's some people that are so given to a particular translation, like that's the translation, man. That's the one God uses, you know, when he speaks. He speaks in this translation. Listen, the, the Bible actually is 1,200 words. The average modern-day translation that you and I would access has about six. I'm sorry, 12,000 words. Average modern-day translation has about 6,000. How many of you know every translation has its shortcoming? I'm just going to say it very clearly so that you understand. Number one, the Bible has no errors. But every translation has errors. You get me? Translations have errors. The Bible has no errors. Don't, don't be confused about that. God has preserved his word. But there are all kinds of revisions being made to every translation you and I look at because they go back and say, yeah, that didn't really say it right. You know, if we translate from uh, English to Spanish or Spanish to English, then, uh, you, you know, it's not going to translate exactly right. And you're kind of constantly going to be looking at it from a different standpoint. So the same thing, when you go and you start studying scripture, you can go online and access all these things. It's really helpful. I think we actually have a, a, a site, a, a link online you can go and I explain a few of the sites that I use. But I read this, in the beginning God, and then the fourth word in the original Hebrew language has no English translation. In other words, we read the Bible and never know it exists. But that word is really interesting and the reason it doesn't translate into English is because it doesn't actually uh, have anything except two letters. So there's not a word for it per se. And guess what those two letters are? They're the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's it. The first and the last. Anybody ever heard of anything, the first and the last, the beginning and the end? Uh, and so uh, let's, let's fast forward to Revelation chapter 1. And this is why you need to learn to study the Bible for yourself. You can have confidence. We've got an eldership structure and, and they're in the room and we're listening together and we're talking about, if I ever say anything that's in question, we come together and talk about that. You can have a confidence that we're pretty tight on the word, uh, but, but there are sometimes we're gonna make mistakes. You'll see one today. I'm gonna point out Revelation chapter one and your card says verse 11. That's not right. It's verse 17, my bad, sorry. Uh, verse 17, and the Bible says, in Revelation 1.17, Jesus is making a declaration, and Jesus himself says, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So literally what the Bible reads back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, Alpha and Omega, created. That's literally what that Hebrew translation of Scripture is. How many of you know right off the bat, right in the very beginning, exactly what Jesus told those religious Pharisees is absolutely the case. These Scriptures speak of Jesus. Right in the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, Jesus, your King, shows up and is revealed in the power of God's Word. We need to constantly discover where Jesus is throughout the Scripture. Every book of the Bible reveals Him in an unusual and remarkable way, and we want to see that. So these four characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, I want to just point out a few things. One, Abram was his name originally. Once Abram entered into covenant with Abraham, 
I'm sorry, with Jehovah, then he was renamed Abraham. And you get the idea, Jehovah, that uh, sound of his name affected Abram's name, and he became Abraham. Sarai, the same, brought that same sound from Jehovah. How many of you are ladies, and you got married, and your name changed because of the covenant of marriage? Can I just see your hands? Hold them up if you got, right, your name. We understand covenant brings a name change, and we see that throughout Scripture. We're going to evaluate that a little bit in this. Uh, but the bottom line, Abram, he was the one that God said, I'm going to bless you, Genesis 12, 3, and you're going to be a blessing. Now think about this, because Abram literally was blessed and was a source of blessing for all fallen humanity. How many of you know Jesus came and he brought heaven into earth, and literally the blessing of heaven had arrived, he was blessed, and he became the blessing for us to embrace. Isaac, this is an interesting type or shadow, and we'll see shadows and, and how this kind of depicts and expresses Jesus, but the Bible says that Abraham took his only son Isaac and he took him up on a mountain. You remember this story? And Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice. That's important. So here's Isaac carrying wood up a mountain. He gets up on top of the mountain. He's the only begotten son of Abraham, by the way. And Abraham lays him back on the wood, binds him, the Bible says, and is about to slay his only begotten son as a sacrifice. Angel interrupts and all of those things take place. Personally, you can have uh, varying opinions on this, these things, but, but we do know clearly uh, Isaac was not a small child. He was an adult. I believe Isaac was 33 years old, a true type of Christ who carried the wooden cross up the mountain and was laid back on the cross and crucified that you and I might have life at age 33. Again, Isaac reveals and expresses Jesus. Jesus was right. How many of you believe Jesus was right? The verses of scripture speak of him. And there's great life for us to, to gain as we understand and recognize that. And I wanna take just a little time on our third person today, Jacob. And I wanna talk about Jacob's ladder. The experience where Jacob goes and, and he lays his head on a rock and suddenly heaven opens up and he sees there's heaven and earth interacting and there, there's so much here for us to understand and recognize and, and we'll read about this in Genesis 28 verse 16. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is here and I didn't know it. And let me just say, I felt that this was a really important word for us today. I want to say to you, surely the Lord is in the midst of your situation and you may not even be aware of it. Surely the Lord is in the midst of my strained marriage and I may not be aware of it. Surely the Lord is in the midst of a situation with my estranged child or my estranged parent, my estranged family member, and I may not be aware of it. Surely the Lord is in the midst of my difficulty financially, and I may not be aware of it. But how many of you know God is in the midst of it, and he wants to take care of the situation and turn the circumstance around? He's God. He's big enough to make a difference. We simply need to understand this is God who wants a relationship with us, and things that are going on in our lives truly do matter. So Jacob is the guy in Scripture. He's going to be transformed to become Israel. And this is really unique. You understand, Jacob's ladder is the Messiah. This, this is Jesus. Jesus bridged the gap between heaven and earth. Jacob is the guy in Scripture who his name means deceiver. And Jacob is going to be transformed. Anybody know what Jacob's name is going to become? Say it real loud. Jacob's name becomes... 
Israel, right? And so Jacob is going to be transformed by his experience with heaven and become Israel. Israel, or Jacob, is going to have 12 sons. Those 12 sons are going to multiply and they're going to become 12 tribes. Those are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel and we have the lineage of the promise of God. I will bless you and you will be a blessing in the earth. Now, the thing that is so important for us just to understand about Jacob, here he is, the deceiver. His name means deceiver. Here he is, the deceiver, interacting and in a sense relating with fallen humanity and then he's going to be transformed transformed into Israel that will interact and relate more with heaven do you see the comparison here of Jesus coming and interacting with us in humanity to draw us into a greater revelation of heaven I thought about this as I was preparing and praying about this particular uh, layout of scripture (coughs) excuse me and I thought about the old farmer, and he, the, the story about this guy, and he walked out on his back porch, may have been Oklahoma because it was hailing, and so uh, he walked out on his back porch, and hail was coming down, and he looked out, and there was an abundance of geese that had grounded in the back of his uh, farm area, kind of near his barn. They were in the barnyard. And so he's watching as they're they're being pelted with hail, and and he's thinking to himself, i got to do something for these dumb, how many know geese are dumb? right? They're just getting hit on the head with hail. And he runs out and he opens up the barn door and he's trying to shoo them in the barn. And they like fly up and go over here and fly up and they're being nailed. And by this point, he's now bleeding and he runs back up on the porch and he's looking at these geese and he's thinking, they're just so dumb. If only I could become a goose just for a little bit and go show them the way into a place of safety. And it hit him. That's the gospel. How many of you know humans are dumb? How many of you have dumb moments? Can I just see? How many have dumb hours? Dumb hours. Some of us have dumb years. Okay, I understand what that is. And so, so it's like God looks at us in our state of fallen humanity, and, and he realizes we're just not getting it. The Ten Commandments, all of the laws, all the priests, all the prophets, all the kings, they're just not getting it. And so Jesus himself, God himself, steps into humanity to identify with with us, to draw us out of the Jacob deceiver mentality into a heavenly revelation. That's the ladder of Jacob. This is why you and I need to understand our relationship with Christ is absolutely essential. Your first uh, blank, or your second blank, whatever. Your next blank. Jacob becomes aware that there was communication between heaven and earth and he did something really interesting as a result. And we're going to evaluate that in, our, in the next verse in just a few moments. But I just, you know, I want to just ask you, have you ever tried to help somebody and they simply didn't listen? And then you're like, <laughs> yeah, lots of hands going up. Just point at them. Go ahead. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> you know, it, like you try to help somebody and then they didn't listen. And then you have that I told you so opportunity that you hopefully don't take, right? You embrace them, you love them, you encourage them. But, but it's like, some, you know, you give advice until people just don't take advice. This is something Tracy and I have talked about over the years uh, in our marriage and in ministry. We've learned people don't want advice. I, I mean, mostly. Some people do, not very many. Most people don't want advice. You know what people want? They want endorsement. Because if you want advice, then you actually come and you say, hey, I'm thinking about this. 
What is your input before I make a decision? That's asking for advice. But when you've resolved, I want to do this, and you go to someone and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. Uh, I'm going to do this, you know, is basically where I am, and I just want you to give a little bit of endorsement. And if you don't tell them what they're looking for and what they want to hear, guess what? Wall off. It's just walled off. And so sometimes you give advice, and then you just have to smile. And I thought about my my girls, uh, we were driving down the road. Lexi was, and Faith were pretty young. And Faith makes this statement from the back seat. Dad, when I get old enough to drive a car, I want a DT Cruiser. How I many you know it's not called a DT Cruiser? What's it called? PT Cruiser. So I kind of smile, and I realize, you know, she's, she's mistaken. And so I said, well, I think that's awesome. Those are awesome cars, Faith. And, and like you can fit friends in and, you know, kind of a big, not really a van. But, and so we were talking about it. And I said, but I do want to mention to you, I think it's called a PT Cruiser, not a DT Cruiser. And she goes, nope, it's a DT Cruiser. <laughs> so I said, well, I was, you know, trying to share my wisdom. And I said, well, Faith, I'm a little older than you and I've had a little more experience with cars and I think I'm right, it's a PT Cruiser. To which she said, I think I'm right, it's a DT Cruiser. I mean, she was like, <laughs> so you know, that's when you stop trying to offer advice, right? And you just offer a smile. You know, you just kinda offer a smile. And, and, and I thought about my mom and my dad. When I was a kid, I was probably about that age, my mom, she, she used to make uh, like casseroles. Are you any, any casserole queens in the house? Okay, mom, I was like, she was the casserole queen, and so like hamburger helper, and um, you know, whatever kind of casserole, all, she'd make all these casseroles, and, and she would put them in these glass, like Pyrex bowls, and bake them in the oven, and then they're like hot, and so she gets them out with her oven mittens, right, and she comes over to the table, my dad and I are sitting there, and she puts it down on the table, and it's just, you know, just where I can reach it, and she says these words, it's hot. Don't touch it. You know what's coming, right? My brain did not consult my arms before my arms allowed my hands to reach over because my stomach was hungry and my brain was not fully engaged. I don't know. I reached over and grabbed the casserole with my bare hands that she just put down there, and I pick it up and drop it on the table. Ah! To which my mom and dad look at each other and do something like this. <laughs> and in my mom's brain, she was thinking, he's not very bright, is he? And in my dad's brain, he was thinking, dumber and dirt. The boy is dumber and dirt. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have made decisions before that caused Jesus to look at the Father and go. <laughs> and the Father say something like, dumb as dirt, that's what we made him out of. <laughs> Surely the Lord is here, and I wasn't even paying attention. Surely the Lord's trying to give me advice, and I'm not even listening. Surely if I paid attention, my life would be better. The Bible is the mind of God. Jesus wants us to have the wisdom and the counsel of God abundantly established in every one of our lives. Uh, you know, I mean, just like craziness can happen. I, I, 
because we are connected with a number of pastors, and I hear all these wild stories, and there's this one particular story, and, and things had gotten really heightened, and, and people were really interested in the spirit, and, and you know, spiritual expressions and manifestations kind of became the emphasis, and, and one young man standing on the front row had just come out of a pretty tough background, and, and in, in worship, he just felt like the Lord said, I want to use you to demonstrate the supernatural that everyone would marvel at my power. And so he's worshiping and he's, yes, Lord, I'll walk on water for you. I'll part waters. I'll, I'll go to the burning bush. And, and, and he literally thought God said to him, I want you to take off running as hard as you can and run into the wall and I will boom, transform you through the wall. Then you will come back out the door. Everyone will be cheering. Look what the Lord hath done. True story. The guy takes off running and in faith puts his face out in front. Because, you know, like doubt would be running like this, but oh no, he's running like that. And running, full, like in worship, the pastor's telling the story, he's standing on the platform, he realized the dude takes off running and runs smack into the wall. <laughs> Like, bang, not, you know, falls down. He gets up, and, and like the worship team's kind of you know, in stall mode, and, and the guy is like you know, stumbling, and he goes, the Lord said, never do that again. <laughs> I mean, that's great advice. It's like Jesus must have looked at the Father and went, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. Jesus came to give us access to this wisdom where we don't have to make dumb decisions all the time. We learn two ways. We learn by instruction or we learn by correction. It's hot. I received the instruction. I will not touch it. It's hot. I refuse the instruction. Therefore, I will touch it and have burns on my hands. And by correction, I will learn, don't touch the hot. You learn by instruction. You learn by correction. The Word of God is this incredible layout for us where we find the wisdom of God. Listen, there are just some basic things that we find in it that really help us live lives that are truly lives filled with joy and with the strength of God Almighty. I, I was, um, you know, we just, would you agree God speaks to you more than you listen, right? I mean, the steps of the righteous are you heard the verse, ordered of the Lord. Have you heard that before? Let's say that together. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. One more time. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. So the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, like God's ordained and ordered our steps. But have you ever been to a restaurant, even though you wanted what you wanted and you ordered it correctly, you didn't get what you ordered correctly and wanted? Has that ever happened to anybody? Like they got the order wrong. Just because you want it and just because you order it correctly doesn't mean it's going to arrive. Even with a, you know, a great waiter, waitress, whatever, just because that's what you want, just because it's what you order doesn't mean it's what you get. I think the Lord feels that way a lot. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. How many believe you're living less than what he wants for your life? Can I just see your hand? We're living just beneath what he, and if we could just let the abundance of his counsel, the leadership of his spirit, the truth of his word, the strength of our family, community, connection, relationship, all help us move forward, can really transform our lives. Uh, I was actually on a long 
drive, Ryan, I don't remember who all was with us, but Ryan Perry and a bunch of guys, and we'd driven to New Mexico and had done some ministry out there. It was an eight-hour drive back. And as we were driving, the GPS, have you ever heard the, you know, you guys have GPS uh, woes, I'm sure, and uh, now it's kind of more so the phone. This was before that. And the GPS would talk to us and would say, in two miles, make a left turn, Right? You've heard it before? And then it gets a little closer. In one mile, make a left turn. In a half a mile, make a left turn. Make a left turn, okay? It's this whole progression. And then if you miss the left turn, it says, when it's possible, make a legal U-turn, right? And so uh, we were driving, and like this thing, you know, the GPS says, in 100 miles, make a left turn. Who cares? 100 miles. And so we're laughing, we're talking, all the stuff that dudes do in the car, driving for all those hours, delirious. And it's not too long until I figure out somewhere along the journey, my GPS stopped talking, like the sound went out. And it was trying to communicate, but we couldn't hear it, and we had driven like 40 miles past our turn. And so somewhere it had just said over and over, when possible, make a legal U-turn. When possible, make a legal U-turn. When possible, make a legal U-turn. And I think many times it's like, we're dating Mr. Wrong, and the Holy Spirit said, when possible, make a legal U-turn. We're dating Mrs. Wrong, when, when possible, make a legal U-turn. You can't be focused on Mr. Right when you're caught up and, and, and all attached with Mr. Wrong. When you're making a decision to move in a job, you gotta pay attention. Is that the Holy Spirit giving you that direction? Opportunities are distractions if they're not assignments. Point number two, opportunities are distractions if they're not assignments. And point number three, opportunities are distractions if they're not assignments. The greatest success is obedience to the will of God in your life. That's the greatest success in your life. And I believe the Holy Spirit's constantly trying to speak to us. And Jacob is there speaking to, and, and a great revelation of the wisdom of Christ available in our lives where, where heaven invades earth and speaks to us. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. To be led by the Spirit is simply where every decision becomes a discussion with the Holy Spirit before you make the decision. God wants to talk to us. He cares about us. This verse goes on. Uh, verse 17 is where he lays his head on the rock and he sleeps and he wakes up. And then we see in verse 18 something really interesting. Genesis 26, 18. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Jesus is here. How many of you know Jesus is the rock, right? Jesus is the rock. This was a depiction and a picture and a prophetic expression that one day the, the Messiah would come, what Jacob had just experienced. You might have heard the, the hymn song that was written out of that stairway to heaven. And so it, Jacob experienced this latest, that was not really, he laid his head on the rock and heaven invaded earth. And as Jacob is there, it, he, he then wakes up and he realizes heaven has invaded earth. And it's a prophetic expression. He takes that rock and he, he makes a pillar. And on that rock, he pours oil and it's an expression that one day the rock of Jesus Christ the anointed king the oil speaks of the anointing the anointed king will come and open heaven to earth unlike anything all of humanity has ever experienced what I just got a glimpse of 
we have today. What he's saying is what I just got a glimpse of, all the world will have. Do you understand the heavenly power and authority and anointing that has been given to us? May we rise up and recognize Jesus has come and given us the authority to rise up and declare God's kingdom is at hand. The devil is a liar. The church will, will always prevail in, uh, in the battle against the enemy and against hell in Jesus' mighty name. Every one of our lives. It's amazing revelation that we see Jesus being revealed and Jacob tremendously excited about this. The last character, Joseph, is interesting and I'll just give you a few bullet points on Joseph. But Joseph is Jesus. It's an amazing expression. Who was it that betrayed Jesus uh, for 30 pieces of silver? What was his name? Judas. Who was it in the Old Testament that betrayed Joseph and said, let's don't kill him, let's sell him? What, what was his name? Judah. Guess what? The Old Testament name Judah is the New Testament name Judas. And both of them were sold for the price of a slave. In Joseph's day, it was 20 pieces of silver. In Jesus' day, it was 30 pieces of silver. Uh, we see that Joseph was sentenced with two thieves, and one of those thieves lived, and one of those thieves died. Jesus was sentenced and crucified. And what happened? There were two criminals, one on each side, and one mocked him and jeered him and died that day, and the other, he said, you will be with me in paradise. One lived and one died. Incredible typology in all of this. Joseph was 30 years old when he was raised up into public ministry next only to Pharaoh's throne. Jesus was released to public ministry at the age of 30 next only to the Father's throne. Incredible expressions of Jesus all throughout the scripture. The Bible says in Genesis, let there be light. God created light. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light. Adam is the first Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. The tree of life. Jesus said, I am the life. We, I mean, it's just amazing. This is all about Jesus. It's all about our uh, Messiah. It's all about the life of Christ revealed in this man who is God and this God who is man that we might be able to identify in humanity and in heaven and be reconciled to God in an amazing and wonderful way. The last illustration I want to give you, uh, it's interesting, Colossians 1.17 says, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's a really great verse. How many of you have uh, made it through some difficult circumstances in your life because Jesus was holding it together, right? I mean, I don't know, I, honestly, I don't know how people do what they do without Jesus and God's family surrounding us in the process. And so we, we read this Jesus is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. The, the New Living Translation says, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. And I thought it'd be good to share this just on a, a note of Genesis and creation and so on. But Jesus holds it all together. And I, I, I really love this analogy, and I love this illustration, because uh, Laman, in, in terms of God's creation, there's a protein in every one of our bodies that holds us together on a, on a molecular level. And that protein is called laminin. Without laminin, you would simply fall apart on a molecular level. Without laminin, you're, there'd be no cohesion protein in your body and you would be a mess, literally, okay? But scientifically, that cohesion protein 
is so unique. I believe God gave it as a clue. And once again, everything's constantly revealing Christ. But I want you to see the, the cohesion protein, laminin. The, this is the protein that actually holds you together. God who created you, I believe, purposefully, deliberately, and intentionally selected a cohesion protein that would be in the form of a cross to reiterate a declaration that says, Jesus is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. And it's a cliche. Forgive me, I'll just tell you right up front. I don't like cliches. I think Christians settle for cliches, and we become talking point people. And people really aren't interested in our talk. They want to see the action. So I'm telling you that up front. It's a cliche, but it fits too well not to say it. It's a truth. A Bible that's falling apart is usually owned by someone who's not. And I want to ask you to turn the page. I want to ask you as we enter into this season that every one of us grow deeper in our relationship with Christ. I want to ask that everyone just cultivate a deeper passion and appetite for worship, for the Word, for all the good things of God, that we might be strengthened and empowered as men and women of God to truly become everything that God's called us to be. I don't want to just inspire you in this season. I, I'm a motivational guy. If you're ever, you know, walking around and you're down, I'm the guy. I like to put my arm around you and say, man, it's going to be all right. Everything's good. And I, I mean, that's how I, and so my, you know, that comes out in my ministry a lot. I'm, it's all good. I want to inspire you and I want you to smile. I want to do more than inspire, particularly in this season. I want to empower. I want to take some time to go a little deeper. Let me just tell you what I think is one of the biggest problems of the church of our world today. We're addicted to affirmation. And we require people to stand up before us and preach to us in a way that affirms our lifestyle because we want endorsement more than we want advice. And because the church has experienced such a shallow experience with Christ, the church has expressed such a shallow expression of Christ. And let me just say the world's sick and tired of it. There are some things that need to be addressed within the church. We've been talking about that for a while. We're not going to back off of that. We want the church to become everything God's called the church to become. We are devoted to that as a church family. So let me ask you, will you turn the page? Will you take the time to get in the Word on a regular basis? Go get an old-fashioned Bible, put the date at the top, start in Genesis, and turn, I'm going to give you context for each book, help you in that. And as you turn the page, just write the date. You know, yesterday... I can't, I, there's something about the storms I wrote, you know, the storms are coming in again, put it at the top of my Bible. But just turn the page. And, and our commission this year is take someone with you. So you know there are some people that are not going to do this. You, you agree? How many of you believe there are some people that are not going to do this? Some of you raising your hand are those people, right? My feelings aren't hurt. I understand, you know, we got to all work through it. But if you'll ask somebody, maybe somebody here, maybe somebody at work, you know, my pastor's offering this challenge. You don't have to dump any ice water on your head or anything. Just like, you know, turn the page. That's the challenge. And, and just invite them to go along. I want to say do the work of an evangelist. Invite people into the story. I mean, just by inviting somebody to do what I'm talking, it's really simple to do. 
you might actually awaken them to the purposes of God. And how cool would that be throughout all eternity to talk to people who had the purposes of God awakened in their life while we were living in this world. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to turn the page. You would help us to dig deeper. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to grow, to be more rooted in who you've called us to be. We'd experience you on a deeper, more meaningful level so that we would express you on a deeper, more meaningful level. We know that all of the history of of the world is divided by one thing, and that's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You are who you say you are. You're the Savior of the world. You came that we might have life. And I pray, Lord, that we would press in and have that life and embrace your word in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you believe he's the Savior of the world and you declare he's your Savior, why don't you give him a celebration of praise right now? We honor this wonderful King Jesus.